you tonight hallelujah jesus can we worship him for a few minutes church hallelujah we bless your name jesus there is no one like you lord there is no one like you lord we bless your name can we lift it up sing you are alpha
Let's worship Him. We worship You, Lord. We worship You, Lord. We worship You. Oh, God, there is none like You. You're the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. The first and the last. The God of all creation. We worship You, Lord. We worship You, Lord. We bless Your name, Lord. We bless Your name, Lord. Oh, you're mighty, Lord. You're mighty, Lord. You're mighty, Lord. Great is your faithfulness, Lord. We worship you, Lord. We worship you, Lord. We adore you, Jesus. For there is none like you. There is none like you. You're the great I am, Lord. You are the great I am. You are the everlasting Father. You are the wonderful Counselor. You are the Prince of Peace. You are the wheel in the middle of the wheel. Besides you, there are no God. Besides you, there is no Savior. And we worship you. And we adore you. And we are grateful to you. Oh, hallelujah. Will somebody worship the Lord with me tonight? I came to worship Him. I came to honor Him and let Him know that I'm grateful. I'm thankful. I bless Your name. You're so good, Lord. You're so good, Lord Jesus. None compared to You. None can be like You. You're the high and lofty one. Heaven is Your throne and earth is Your footstool. Oh, Jesus, we love you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Oh, God, we magnify your name tonight. We magnify your name tonight. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We magnify your name. We glorify your name. Oh, thank you, Jesus. One more time, let's clap our hands unto the Lord. He is so good to us. He's better to us than we are to ourselves. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for being with us tonight, our online congregation. Thank you for being with us. Those of you that are here, thank you for being with us tonight. We serve a faithful God. Amen. And we thank you for bringing us together one more time. Amen. You can be seated. We're going to get into the word of the Lord in just a moment here. Amen. Uh, We had a great service Sunday and still thanking God for it. Still thanking God for an awesome service, for bringing us all here and bringing us all together. It's still amazing what God has done. And we thank him for it. Amen. Well, we're going to get into um, some scriptures here. We're going to talk a little bit about making disciples. And we're going to teach that probably for the next few weeks. That we're going to be talking about making disciples. um, Because that's what we have to do. Um, One thing I've seen over the years... And I think many pastors will tell you this, that uh, a lot of our churches will get people to visit, will get people to even come, because where the presence of the Lord is, there's liberty. 
and people like to experience God's presence. And so people will be attracted to the presence of the Lord, but if they don't become disciples, they won't hang around. And so we have to begin to realize that until people become disciples, they won't understand a greater meaning behind church. And so many people take the church for, you know, their refuge, which the church is. Um, but, you know, we're not just supposed to look at the church for what the church can do for us. Life is a give and take process. And anyone that lived life to just do one side of it, which is to either just give or just to take, you're unbalanced. And um, sooner or later, you will realize that that life cannot be, uh, cannot continue that way. That's not sustainable to just either be a giver or a receiver. You must be both to live a balanced Christian life and just life in general. And so we're going to get into the Word of God tonight, and, and we're going to see what God is wanting us to see about discipleship. We, we, we want to start being very uh, attentive to making disciples. Um, it's different to be a witness than making a disciple. Uh, we can be witnesses quite easily because all we have to do is just share the word of God with people. You know, Jesus is Lord. And if, if you don't repent of your sins and be baptized in Jesus' name and be filled with his spirit, you cannot make it to heaven. And I'm a witness of the whole born-again process of repentance and baptism and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And so that makes you a witness. If you've already experienced it and you're sharing your experience, that makes you a witness for Christ. But that doesn't make you a disciple maker. And so we need to become disciple makers. Um, and you can do it. I like to start out by telling you there's not one of you in this church that cannot be a disciple maker. Always remember this. Whatever God has commanded us to do, we can do. God don't command us to do something, and because you lack something, you're going to say, I just can't do that. What you need to pray and ask God is, with the ability and talents that you've given me, Lord, how do I do that? Not that you can't do it, because God don't tell you to do something you can't do. So if you feel intimidated, if you feel like you're, you're not smart enough, if you feel like you don't know the scriptures enough, whatever it is that you're feeling inadequate about, you need to pray and say, God, with what I have, will you show me how to be a disciple maker? And God will show you how to be a disciple maker with how he has equipped you to be a disciple maker. So everyone can be a disciple maker and we all are supposed to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to get into this series in talking about uh, making disciples. And we will see what God is wanting us to understand. We're going to be on this a whole lot. And so you might feel like, man, this again every week? I hope to give you a different perspective every week on what we're talking about. But it's a good thing sometimes where you become I don't know, will you feel inundated with something because it means that you might not be doing it. 
When you start to feel like this is too much, I'm sick of this, it means you're not doing it. And so you're sick of it because you're not doing it and you keep hearing about it. That's natural in life. When, when, you know, young people, parents try to get you to do something and you don't want to do it, but you can't really tell them you're not doing it because you're a kid, but they keep talking about it. You go in your room and you mumble, I don't even want to do that. Think I don't know that's what you see in your mind. But you, but you have to try to figure out how you're going to get it done because the parents are going to still be on your case and you're going to have to sooner or later get it done. And so when you're not doing what you're being told to do, it can be it can irritate you. And so if I start to irritate you about making disciples, you need to look into yourself and say, maybe I'm not doing it. And that's why I'm irritated about it. And, and, and let me also throw this in. None of us schedules are too busy that we can't make disciples. Your schedule is not too busy to make disciples. Because the people who you're busy with need to be saved. The people who you're busy with need to be saved. And so God knows how to work his plan. And so why you might look around and say, man, I just don't have the time. God says, no, you have the time. Let me show you who you need to reach. And so let's look into what we're talking about here. Let's ask ourselves this question. Is there a correct theological approach to reaching the world with the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Is there a theological approach to doing this? Or should we all just do whatever comes to mind to reach others with the gospel? Or perhaps copy what other churches or organizations are doing that seem to be working to reach the world around them? Is there a theological approach what do we do about making disciples? Do we just come up with something in Christ-centered church and just say, yeah, this works, we can do this? How do we go about making disciples? If a vehicle is not operated according to the specifications of the owner's manual, then, that, then the performance of that vehicle will be something less than what the designer intended. What am I saying? If we are going to try to make disciples and we don't do it the way the Lord Jesus Christ said we need to do it, then we're not going to be as effective as the Lord wants us to be effective. So in order to be effective disciple makers, we have to do it according to the way the Lord says do it. If we don't do it the way the Lord says, we cannot be effective disciple makers. And remember, I've always said this um, as I'm ministering in, in, in this church that a lot of times we get frustrated with church. We get frustrated with God because what we're doing, we're not seeing results. Well, I'm here to tell you God can't lie. If we're not seeing results, it's because we're not applying God's instructions the right way. Because God can't lie. And let me go on the other end of it. If we're doing it God's way and we're not seeing results, keep on doing it because God cannot lie. Sooner or later, we will see the results of what God said we will see. So God cannot lie, which means that we follow 
his method, his, his, his instructions of how to make disciples, we don't have to worry about whether or not we will make disciples. We will make disciples. God will see to it that people are being discipled if we do it his way. So we need to make sure we're doing it God's way so we can get the best results of what God said we will see. Somebody say amen. Before Jesus ascended to heaven, he gave the instructions of how to reach our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He gave the correct theological way to reach the world with the gospel. Many of us have read this text in Matthew many times over, but we're going to look closely at it tonight. In Matthew 28, verse number 19 and 20, the scripture says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Now, in that text we just read, there are some words that I want you to, we're going to go and take a look at. In that, the text we read in verse 19, I want to look at the word teach. In the same verse 19, I want to look at the word nations. In the same verse 19, I want to look at the word baptizing. Now, in the same verse 19, I want to look at the word name. And then in verse 20, I want to look at the word teaching. So look at this scripture, the first word in verse 19, the word teach. The word teach in verse 19 of Matthew 28, it means to make disciples. Teach in that verse means to make disciples. Disciples. So when he says go ye and teach, it means go and make disciples. The word go is very important because it means you can't stay and make disciples. If the word of God says go and make disciples, it means we can't stay and make disciples. <laughs> the next word I want to look at is the word nations. Nations. The word nations in verse 19 means the whole race of mankind. So it's not just talking about certain race. It's not talking about certain nations. It's talking about the whole human race of mankind. So we are to make disciples of all mankind. Then it says baptizing them. Baptizing. The word baptizing in verse 19 means Immerse or submerge. So it's like a burial. I heard my goddaughter said the other day, the reason why it can't be sprinkled is because when you bury somebody, you don't sprinkle dirt on them. I said, go ahead, goddaughter. You got a little bit of theologian going here, going on here? She said, yeah, you can't sprinkle somebody when you're burying them. So how do you expect to sprinkle them with water when you're baptizing them? So she's correct. When you baptize someone, they ought to be immersed, submerged under water because it's like a burial. Amen? Take note in verse 19 as well of the, the, the word name. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. If we want to consider Father, Son, 
Holy Ghost's name, now we're talking about three different names, if we want to consider them names. I don't believe Father is a name. I don't believe Son is a name. And I don't believe Holy Ghost is a name. So it couldn't have been talking about those things because those things are not named. Go and baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Again, Father's not a name. Son is not a name. Holy Ghost not a name. There's only one name. And what's interesting about why I told you to take a look at name is because name is singular. So when you look at it, when it says, Go ye therefore to all nations, baptizing them in the name, which is singular, it is referring to one name. So pay attention to that. The last thing I want you to pay attention, which is in verse 20, is the word teaching. The word teaching. That word teaching in verse 20, in verse 20, means instruct by word of mouth. So one teach means to go make disciple. The other teaching means to instruct by word of mouth. So it's, when you read that scripture, you got to look at it. It says, go ye therefore and make disciples of all mankind, baptizing them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then instructing them to observe all things whatsoever the Lord has commanded us. That's the proper context of how you read that scripture. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all mankind and baptize them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and teach them how to live out the words that I have instructed you in the word of God. And God said, when you do that, I will be with you always. I'm going to have, I hope to have um, Brother Adam Hunley come and preach um, next year. And I never forgot the first time when I heard him minister and he talked about wolves in sheep clothing. And he talked about how where he was as a missionary, there were wolves in sheep clothing. And so when he went out or anyone from his church went out to be a witness in the street, they had to be super careful because they didn't know who was a wolf dressed as a sheep. And in that country, if you run into a wolf that's dressed as a sheep, they will kill you for spreading the gospel. So every time they went out to go and witness, they had to be super careful. But hear this, what's very interesting about what he shared with us. He said, but interestingly enough, they all wanted to go out because they were on a rotating schedule who goes out into the streets to witness that day or that week or whatever. They all wanted to go. You want to know why they wanted to go? Because they experienced the power of God working in their life when they went out to go do it than they did when they was inside the building. They said when we went out to witness, 
God had to take such good care of us to make sure we never witnessed to a wolf in sheep clothing that when we went out, you just felt the presence of God on us. And what we did, it just worked miraculously because God was protecting us because of the environment that we were in. And so if you ever want to be used mightily of God, you have to put yourself or let God put you in a place where It will be some challenges because that's when you need the power of God. But when we're in our nice, comfortable sanctuary like this, what do we need the power of God for? And so if you ever really want to experience the power of God, you need to go make disciples. I can say probably I experienced more the power of God going to make disciples and preaching on the street corner and going in all different kind of places than I did when we were just running around. This ain't nothing but a Holy Ghost party. I, that was great too, but I, don't, I didn't feel the power of God singing about the Holy Ghost party like when I was in the street teaching and making disciples and bringing the word of God. That's when you experience the power of God. Some things were supposed to happen to me and some of the others when we were out witnessing because we put ourselves, I remember one time, this was crazy, but they did it anyhow. I remember one time the Trenton Police Department started allowing us to do their jobs for them. I said, what in the world's going on? So we would go out witnessing at night and we had on these, these, these gold um, sweatshirts that, 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 you know, talks about Acts 238 and all that stuff. And we will go outside the nightclubs waiting for people to be let out and share the gospel with them. And while we were out in the nightclub, at that time we had a, a guy that was a police officer that was in the church. And so whatever they were saying on the radio, if he was working that night, he heard what was said on the radio. And he said one night he was working and he heard on the radio, the church people are at the such and such location, so we're going to go to the next location because they will take care of the crowd. Because we showed up out there ready to minister the word of God. And so I believe that there's a lot of things that could have happened to us. There could have been shootings and any kind of thing that was going on could have happened while we were out there trying to minister. But because we were going to reach the lost and make disciples, God covered us. You want God to really cover you? Get from out of what you would consider the safety. We're in the safety zone. When we're in this, this, this beautiful house, we're in the safety zone. But if you want to see God's power, you're going to have to get from out of the safety zone. So there is a correct theological way to reach the world which Jesus Christ, our creator, laid out for us. The question is, are we following his instructions to reach the world with the gospel? Are we following that? Or are we just doing our thing? Ask yourself, have you made a disciple since you've been living for God? Have you made a disciple since you've been living for God? Ask yourself that. That's important. I don't know what that, how does that all get calculated in, 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 in the book of life? I don't know. But I do know God called us to make disciples. And we have to ask ourselves, have I made a disciple since I've been living for God? And if not, we need to ask ourselves, why not? If we will make disciples, 
there would be a whole lot less disagreement within the church. If we will make disciples, there will be a whole lot of stuff that we won't even think about to discuss because we'll be so locked in in making sure the person we're discipling is catching on, is doing well, and, and growing in God. In 1 Corinthians 9, 22, Paul says this, To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. I love that text. Always love that text. Paul says, I have made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. I don't know. I don't, I, if, if we had time, I would say, explain to me what you think that means. What, what do you think Paul means by he has become he has made himself all things to all men that by all means he will win some. That is very important. And I believe, especially in America, we're going to be challenged to win or to make disciples because we don't want to become nothing to nobody. Because to become something to somebody is going to require sacrifice. And more importantly, it's going to require time. Y'all quiet on me. Sacrifice and time is required for us to become all things to all men so we may win some. When Paul said, I am made all things to all men, what do you think he meant by that? Well, here is what I think he meant. I think he meant he adopted their customs to identify with them. So when you become whatever you need to become to whoever you need to become, it, it means you may have to adopt their customs to identify with them. People will always be more likely to listen to what you have to say and teach if you embrace their customs and culture, eat their food, speak their language, wear their clothes, discuss their nation's history with respect. People are more likely to listen to you. If you try to teach them a Bible study, if you try to reach out to them, they were more likely to listen to you if you're not, if, if you don't look like them or you're not like them because you are, you come from a different background from what they come from. If you will adopt their customs, if you're trying to reach them, you will realize that they're more likely to listen to you. They're more likely to, 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 to hear what you're saying if you will embrace their customs and their cultures and eat their food and speak their language and wear their clothes and discuss their history of what kind of people they are, they are with respect. If we will do that, more people will listen to us with the gospel. A lot of times what Christian does, Christians does, Christian does, is we feel like we know the truth. And if they want to get to heaven, they better listen to us. And we, we don't realize there's a little arrogance in that. That we move about, hey, please, I know the truth. And some of them, they don't even know about baptism. Some of them, they, they think it's three gods and all of this stuff. And I know there's only one God. I know there's only one baptism. I spoke in tongues. I got the spirit. They need to listen to me. True, but you can't come off arrogant like that. God was merciful to you. God was gracious to you. It wasn't because you did something special while you are where you are. It was the goodness of the Lord. 
And so we should be praying for the goodness of the Lord for the people we're trying to reach. Surely the founder of the church not only gave us power to reach the world, but also equipped us with strategy to do so as well. Much has been done to reach lost people through the invention and inspiration of humans and with some measure of success. Everyone is interested in something that is working, but it doesn't mean we're supposed to be using somebody else's method because it's working for them. It is human nature to emulate successful mentors or models that have resulted in great growth. It's human nature to emulate it. However, sometimes God inspires certain individuals in unique ways to reach the loss. But he may not intend for that method to become a theological track to perpetually follow to reach the loss. And so God can use a method at some point in time and says, hey, I want you to go and talk to so-and-so. And he uses a specific method. That doesn't mean that's what you're supposed to do from now on. Check this out. Moses first met God at a burning bush, but he did not keep looking for God behind every burning bush he saw after that. It's easy for us that once God does one thing in our life, we expect God to keep doing it the same way. But if it's not a principle from the book that, 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 that you can continuously use, then you need to make sure you go back to what is the, the, the original instructions for what you're trying to do. And if we're trying to make disciples, we have to go back to what the Lord has instructed us to do. Someone else's inspiration can easily become your frustration as you attempt to duplicate his or her success. There's been a lot of frustrated Christians because we're trying to mimic brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. I remember when I got that revelation because I, too, was a little crazy. And so I was a zealot that just, you know, knocked on every door without fear, didn't mind, and I just, just did it. And after a while... God started giving me some wisdom. And I had a friend that we was zealots together. And, and, and I started telling him, I said, knocking doors is not the only way to reach the lost. That's not the only way to evangelize people. That's not the only way to make disciples. I said, there are different ways, and we can't make people that are not knocking doors like us feel bad. And that was God giving me wisdom that we got to look at that, that God have different ways how he wants to reach people. When God sent me to establish this church here, one of the things that I learned from that is God wanted me to understand that he uses different people. He uses different personality types because there's different personality types. And so sometimes God might want, you know, I never forgot, what's his name? Jesse DePlantis. I don't know if he's still around. I know he needs some more truth, but I'm just using him as an example, that Jesse DePlantis was a funny guy. And uh, he would reach people with his humor. 
Some people might think you have to be stone cold serious every time in order to reach people. But Jesse the Plantis would re- reach people with his humor. God have given us different kind of personality type. And those personality type is what God will use when he sends us to do his work. So don't deny who you are. Just be who you are and let God work through you. So if you think that you can't make disciples because of your personality type, you're wrong. Your personality type has nothing to do with you making disciples. All you have to do is be obedient to what God says, and you will make disciples with your personality type. It doesn't matter if you're serious. It doesn't matter if you're goofy. It doesn't matter what you are. God will use your personality type to make disciples. No need for you to be intimidated. No need for you to choose, oh, I need to be like so-and-so, or so-and-so is effective in the way that they do it. Great that so-and-so is effective, but you don't have to be so-and-so to get the job done. You just need to be you. Listen, God may have spoken to some people to do some things, and they did it, and they're seeing success, but that doesn't mean that's what God wants you to do as well. God inspires pastors on how to make an impact in their communities. He places a congregation in a community with unique gifts, qualities, vision, skills, talent, resources, and leadership specifically equipped to become fruitful in that area. When God establishes a church in any area, what he's saying is, you've got the goods. With me, you've got the goods to, to do what I need you to do in that community. This is why it's important to know wherever we're going It was God that's sending us there, and we can't just go on our own. we got to go where God has sent us. Because if we don't go where God has sent us, we will spin our wheels and get frustrated for a very long time because we won't see the results we can really see because we're doing our own thing. We went to our own place. When we were uh, looking for a building, uh, we were looking in this area, obviously, and some of you know we found the building just right up the road on Quaker Ridge Road. And we were like, yeah, this is pretty nice. And we thought it was good. We were talking to the guy that owned it. And we said, wow, you know, this, 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 this will be a nice building. And, you know, we, you know, we're talking about how we can get it and all of this stuff. And it didn't work out. And as we've always said, Lord, if it's not you, shut the door. And he shut that door. Boom. Never worked out. And I remember probably weeks or months later, all of a sudden, it dropped in my spirit. I didn't send you to Lawrence. I sent you to Hamilton. I laugh. I, I, just, I just sat there and just smirked. I said, God, you, you are just too much. The building was, that we looked at earlier is just right across the line going into Lawrence. And so that was Lawrence Township. And so here we are making plans that we thought we could have possessed that building, but God didn't send us to Lawrence Township. He wanted us right here where we are, and that's where we're right where we are. So for any one of us, this is why we say, Lord, order my steps, because we want to go where he wants us to go, because when we go where he wants us to go, that's where we're going to have success. I don't want to go where I want to go. I want to go where God wants me to go, because that's where I am going to have success. Somebody say amen. 
in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, chapter 2 and chapter 3, each message to the seven churches of Asia was individually suited to that particular congregation. One method of outreach may work in a certain community, but has absolutely no impact in another community. Rather than borrow from successful church models or read books about how to be effective in reaching particular demographics and culture, doesn't it stand to reason that God would have given us a method that would work in any country or any continent, in any local church, and in any culture? God gave us a method to make disciples that will work no matter where you go. There's a reason why we talk about this in, in the UPCI NAM department when I was in it. We talked about this. Every missionary that went overseas, that left America and went overseas to reach the lost, do you know how they started? Every missionary that goes overseas, the first thing they do when they go overseas is try to make one disciple. Because most of the times they're going to a place where they don't speak the language. They're going to a place where they don't know about the food too much. They're going to a place where they don't understand the culture. All they know is God impressed in my heart that I need to go to this country to reach these people as a missionary. And that's what they know. They might read some stuff. They might hear some stuff. But they don't know all that it entails until they get there. And the only way they will be successful is if they make one disciple. And that's been the method. The UPCI have church churches or preaching points, I think, in probably 218 countries, territories, and, and areas. But they had to start out with one. One disciple is how our missionary does it. They don't, they don't go making a whole bunch of disciples. It don't work. You got to go and make one disciple. And once you make that one disciple, that one disciple help you to understand the country, the culture, the food, all of that stuff. And then after you make one disciple and a couple of disciples, you know what they do after that? They start a Bible school. That's how the missionaries do it. Why school? Because school is where you train people. And that's how the missionaries do in overseas. We might take that for granted here, but if we will do what the missionaries uh, that, that go overseas, if we will follow what they do, we will see the same kind of results here in North America. If we as the church are to engage the most effective practice in making an impact on the world around us, then we must first have the right understanding of Scripture. Scripture says, go make disciples of all nations. Go and make disciples of all mankind. Jesus gave us the right theology. If his idea of reaching the world with the gospel is correctly interpreted theologically and biographically enacted, we will be successful in doing what God has called us to do. But we have to want to do it. Christ's commission to go make disciples has not been completely understood by Christianity as a whole, even among some oneness Pentecostals in particular. Perhaps 
we still have much to learn concerning the method that Jesus modeled and made sustainable within his disciple-making culture. Go make disciples. We like to be witnesses and keep it moving. So we witness, and if someone looks interested or not, we finally try to get them to get baptized. You want to see something interesting? And we'll get into this later on down the line. The Bible says, go ye therefore and teach. So teaching people comes before baptizing people. We like to tell them, you need to get baptized. And if they budge, great. We'll follow up. Okay. Brought my soul to church. But all we're interested in is that they get baptized. There's a lot of people, I hate to make this statement, and I make this statement just with my heart going out. There's a lot of people that's been baptized in Jesus' name. That won't make it. So the baptism is not what gets you to make it. You can't make it without it, but the baptism alone is not what gets you into heaven. It's becoming a disciple is what gets you into heaven. It's becoming like Jesus is what gets you into heaven. Not being born again. Being born again is your starting point to being who Jesus needs you to be. Go make disciple or go make disciples was a timeless method that when employed provides strategy to reach the world within one generation of time. Check this out. I'm getting somewhere. I'm almost done. I won't keep you long. Originally, the word minister was a verb and not a noun. Originally, the word minister was a verb and not a noun. It was an action word, in case you forgot. You got too old, you don't remember. <laughs> it was an action word. Somewhere, Christianity turned an action word into a title. Ministry is shared by all Christians. It is not for certain people. Saints were trusted to serve, and they were highly esteemed by their leaders. Minister is not a noun. It is a verb. Many people have the title minister because we have concluded that minister is a noun as opposed to realizing minister is a verb. It's something that we're supposed to do, not something that we are. In Acts chapter 8, verse number 1, the scripture says, And Saul was consenting unto his death, and at the time, and at that time, there was a great persecution against the church. Somebody say, a persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. 
Verse 2 says, And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house, and howling men and women committed them to prison. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. You might have not caught what I just read or what you read along with me. This persecution served as the catalyst to launch the gospel beyond the city limits of Jerusalem. The Lord showed me this some years ago. That when the, when, the, when the church is sitting around and doing nothing, the Lord will allow us to be persecuted. The Lord will allow us to be persecuted. So if we don't want to voluntarily do what God wants us to do, and we sit around and do what we want to do, the Lord will allow us to be persecuted. He will allow things to be stirred up in your life where now you become concerned that you go cry out to him, Oh Lord, will you help me? But God will cause something to happen in your life if all you do is do what you want. This persecution was... It erupted because the, the, the church was just sitting pretty and doing their thing. And remember, God had told them to go ye unto all nations, didn't he? He told them to go to all nations, but they just wanted to chill and do their own thing. And while they were chilling, the Lord said, I got a trick for that. The devil don't like y'all anyway, so let me just get out of his way a little bit. We have no clue how much God shields us from trouble. We have no clue how much God protects us from danger. We have no clue how much God does to keep us right every day, keep us upright, keep us safe. We don't know how much God is really doing to keep us, and we take it for granted. All he got to do is just allow the devil. We know it. Read the, the, the story in Job. All he got to do is give the devil a little bit of permission and he will make havoc of our life. And me, I'd rather serve God than let the devil just be messing around in my life. And I got to deal with him. I don't want to deal with him. I let the Lord deal with him. I just want to do the Lord's business. And so this persecution served as the catalyst to launch the gospel beyond the city limits of Jerusalem. Those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. So, the, so if the apostles remained in Jerusalem and it was the church members who were scattered during this persecution then it appears that the ones who went everywhere preaching the word were the saints of God. Go back and read the text we just read. You will see that the gospel was being spread when they got persecuted. The gospel was being spread by the saints of God, not by the apostles. The apostles remained in Jerusalem, but the church people scattered God knows his people. He knew the apostles were ready to say, I'll die for this. Kill me if you have to, but I ain't going nowhere. And so God will always know what to do to get the results that he needs. And so the apostles stayed in Jerusalem, but some of the saints was kind of nervous about the persecution. So they started going to different places, and that's what the Lord wanted. You go over here, you go over there, and they just started scattering. 
But when we get all concerned and we know we need God, that's when we start being obedient. Because when stuff starts going wrong in our lives, what's the first thing we start doing? Man, God, I must have messed up, huh? And so now we're looking to fix our life when things start going wrong because now we know for all these things to be going wrong, I must have done something wrong. Help me, Lord. So now we're trying to get on the right track because things aren't working in our life. And God will use these things to get you, to get your attention. And it's unfortunate when God used different things to get our attention that we still don't let him get our attention. We need to allow God to get our attention and do what he wants us to do. I don't want to wait till something tragic happened in my life before I start deciding, man, I better serve God. We don't need tragedy to make us start serving God. We just need to know serving God is the best thing that could ever happen to us. It's the best life that we can ever live. It's the best things that we can ever do when we serve God. I'll give you another thing you take for granted. Sometimes the devil come and whisper in your ears and tell you if you were not serving God, you, were, you would be further along in life. Please don't let the devil tell you no lie. The Bible says he's the father of lies. Lies. He is the father of lies. But the devil will whisper in your ears and tell you, if you weren't going to church so much, if, if, if you weren't doing all this stuff and living for God, you will be further along in life. Church, don't believe that lie. Because I hate to tell you this, some of us, many of us, if we wasn't living for God, our life would be a mess right now. I know you think, oh, no way. I would have been, I hear you. I don't want you trying it, though. But I'm telling you, your life would be a mess if it wasn't for God. So where you are today, don't think, hmm, here we go. Where you are today, just think if you're there with God, where you think you would be without God. It can't be no better because you can't get any better without God. We can't get any better with God. So for the devil to tell me, mm, what you need to say to the devil is, devil, if I'm not where I need to be, it's because I didn't do what I was supposed to do. Ain't got nothing to do with God. Because God wants to give me the very best that he has. And the only reason why I wouldn't have the very best that God has for me is because I'm not doing what I need to do. So if the devil come and whisper in your ear and tell you you should be further along, but it's because you're living for God and you got all that stuff going on, you tell him, no, devil, if I was doing all that I'm supposed to do, I would be further along. Not because I'm living for God. That's a warning for somebody. Listen to me. Apparently, those saints, non-licensed, but obedient saints, were qualified and empowered by the apostles to take what they had been taught and repeat it to everyone who would listen. You don't need to be called minister to minister. You don't need a license to minister. You don't need nobody to tell you you should be a witness to somebody. Whatever you have learned, take it 
and go instruct somebody else with it. If you come up on something that you get a question asked that you don't know the answer, I'll get back to you with that because nobody knows everything. The privilege and responsibility of preaching, communicating the word of God, does not belong to the fivefold ministry only. Saints may not be called preachers, but they may take in what they hear on Sundays and from pastoral uh, uh, Bible studies and carry it outside of the four walls of the worship center, rehearsing it to anyone who would listen. Listen to me. Too much ministry is being done by the church for the church. I'll say it again because that went over your head and you might didn't like it anyway. Too much ministry is being done by the church for the church. Can I just tell you this? Your pastor will always get frustrated when you start to talk to him about stuff that ain't got nothing to do with affecting lives. If you talk to me long enough and you're talking to me about stuff that is not affecting lives, you might say, why does he sound like he agitated? I am. I am. Because I don't know any other way to live for God but to make sure all of our actions is impacting lives, souls. I don't know no other way to live for God. So, 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 so doing church business just so the church will be all right? That's just not my thing. Listen to this statement. We continually carry the water to the river instead of carrying the water to the desert. We continually carry the water to the river as opposed to carrying the water to the desert. The desert needs the water, not the river. But we keep carrying the water to the river. The river don't need it. It's the desert, the dry place that needs the water. When we sit around and we don't go and make disciples, that's carrying the water to the river. Most of the ministry in the first century church was done beyond the walls. In fact, the first dedicated Christian edifice was not built until the third century. However, the lack of a regular worship space did not seem to hinder the spreading of Christianity. What would happen in the apostolic church today if everyone did the work of the ministry and the majority of the ministry occurred beyond the walls of worship? What if most of what we did for God, it took place outside of these four walls? Those early believers did not have buildings to focus their lifestyle around. They did not see themselves as people who went to church. They believed they were the church. Everywhere they went, they were the church. So the difference between early believers and us, we, unfortunately, even though we know the truth, we come to the building and consider the building the church. I know you know theologically the building is not the church, but we live like the building is the church. The first century Christians, they knew we are the church, and wherever we go, that's where the church is. 
That's how they lived their life. And that's what made the difference because they understood they were the church. The church wasn't a building. The church wasn't where they gathered together. The church was wherever they went. And they knew they had to go to reach people. They did more church in the streets and in their homes than they did in sanctuaries. In the home and in the street was where most of the work of the church was done for the first century Christians. Where did they get this model? Clearly, their example was Jesus. They had watched him work far more miracles and do more ministry in the streets, in the fields, at the lake, and in homes than he did in the synagogues or the temple. Most of the people in here, what did Jesus say? Those who are whole do not need a physician. Most of the times, the people inside the building, they're whole. It's the one out there that's not coming. And we have to pray, God, don't let me look at the people that's not coming as it's their responsibility to come. God, don't let me look at the people that's outside there, that that's their business if they want to stay lost. Please don't let me look at people like that. But let me have so much compassion that I would want to go and find them wherever they go and find them and reach out to them. He left the 99 and went after the one. God, give us the same attitude that you have when you walk this earth. Move on us that we will walk out of here and go look for somebody and not think because they won't come, they don't deserve this gospel. We think because they don't come, it's their business. They are losing out. It's their soul. Yes, it is. But we're supposed to have enough compassion to say, God, lead me to them, that I can reach them and disciple them. Help us, Holy Ghost. If we're doing the work of the ministry and are making disciples Monday through Saturday, then Sunday will not be a therapy session for codependent saints. If we are doing the work of the ministry and are making disciples Monday through Saturday, then Sunday will not be a therapy session. Sunday will become a celebration of thanksgiving for all the great things that God is doing through his people to fulfill his mission. Nothing will excite a congregation like sharing real life stories about making disciples and seeing lives dramatically change. There is nothing. There's nothing in the world, in the church. I don't care how many miracles. I don't care how much power that is unleashed in the service. There is nothing more powerful in a church than people coming in and being excited about being saved. There's nothing more powerful than people coming to the house of God, repenting and being glad that God had saved them. Oh, God, there is nothing greater than people being born again of the water and of the spirit and living a life of Christ and worshiping and praising God. There's nothing like it. I never forgot when our church, back in the day, our mother church, 
I never forgot. God made me mark that. I never forgot it. Way back when, when three young, young girls got saved in a church and was new in Christ and was excited. I watched that whole process. These three girls, they were friends. They came into church. They got saved, and they were excited. And because they were so excited, everybody else got excited. And I watched it. There was a couple older people that's like, yeah, we'll see how long they stay that way. So sad. But anyway, these young ladies were so on fire. And I watched how the church was on fire. If you read Brother Kuhn's book, you, want, you wouldn't want an ostrich for a mother. It, it is a really good book because it talks about how babies change the family. And sometimes we don't even really realize what lost people being saved, being part of us, what it does for us. But I will say this, askers, what have IJ done since he's come to y'all family? Scarlett, what has Jackson done since he came into the family? Wyatt's, what have Liam done since he came into the family? And you go on and on and on. You know these babies make everything different. It gets the family, everybody. The babies, when the babies come, the attention goes on them. And everybody's excited. And everybody's catering to the baby. And everybody's there for the baby. That's the same thing it needs to be like in the spiritual. When people come into the house of the Lord and get saved, we all supposed to cater to these babies. We all supposed to be trying to make sure they're good to go. Because there's nothing more. Listen, I'm, I can't say it enough. Ain't no miracles greater than somebody being born again into the kingdom. I don't care if somebody walk in here one day and they can't walk and we pray the prayers of faith and they get up out of the wheelchair and walk. That's not greater than somebody being born again of water and spirit. I don't care if somebody here one day walk in here and they fall dead and stop breathing and we lay hands and they get back up and wake up out of from the dead and they start moving around again. That is not greater than someone being born again of the water and of the spirit. And I think we don't really realize that. We might think it, but I don't know if we live it. So getting up from the dead ain't more powerful than somebody being born again. Somebody uh, lame walking ain't more powerful than somebody being born again. The greatest miracle that we will experience is a life being transformed by the power of the spirit. Nothing more important than that. And so I finish up here. If we get our theology right and do what we should be doing Monday through Saturday, then Sunday will be an important part of an entire life of worship. We will come in the house of the Lord and be so grateful because we know that we had put the work in. And God has blessed the work that we had put in. And then on top of it, we can see somebody who was heading for destruction 
their life being turned around and them being happy. We can see somebody who was addicted to drugs and was headed for the wrong place, and now their life has changed. We can see people being becoming family again, but their family was, was, was just messed up. And now, because we reached out to them and started helping them, their family came back together. If we will do those things, Sundays will be such a celebration. Sunday will be so exciting. We have to go make disciples. Those are the conversations we need to be having more than any other conversations. How are we making disciples? The things that we've done to touch somebody's life. That's the things that we're supposed to be talking about. Who is coming to church? Because you invited them. That's what we need to be talking about. All the other stuff we talk about. When we say we have to do what we have to do, why do we do it? What is it for? Are you thinking about people? I close with this. Let's stand. The other day, since we've been here, I've been looking, right? And I remember when I first saw the two double doors, the inside double doors, I said, oh, I like those. And I did. They weren't hung at the time. They were taken off and sat to the side. It's interesting when you go back to what this place had looked like. And they were sat to the side, but I said I loved them. And I knew they would look good when you get them back hung. And I said, that's nice. And then I liked the glass door on the outside. But you know what's bothered me from day number one of the glass door? All I've been saying is, I don't know if a casket can come through the glass doors. Now I know I'm crazy. I don't know if caskets can come through the first door. The first door. And so that's been bothering me. I said, I don't want anything to happen to any one of our family members, and they got to get buried. we got to do a service here, and we can't get the casket. It's driving me crazy. So even for money to be spent, that I'm like, we don't have no money to be spent. All I'm thinking about is the soul. My thoughts are always about the soul. And I want us as the church that our thoughts will be about the soul, about our family, about our friends, about reaching the lost. We need to think about that all the time because none of the other stuff matters. And I said, we got to do something. And finally I was able to reach out to a glass guy. He came yesterday and did some measurements and says, I can make a double door, a double glass door instead of that one single door. I said, well... We, we, we need a proposal, please. I don't know where we're getting the money for that, but I know we need that. Nobody don't know when they're leaving up out of here. It might, it might be mine. I might be playing at my own funeral. We don't know. I'm not afraid to talk like that anymore. I'm sorry. I'm, 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 I'm good. I'm good with it. If you're not good, I'm sorry, but I'm good with it. When my time comes, my time comes. And so if y'all going to be burying me, I want my casket to get through the door so y'all can have the last funeral service in here. But we got to start thinking about the loss. We can't think about all this other stuff because it don't matter. As we can see, and we've learned a good lesson, that God will take care of the hard stuff. To get here was hard. God took care of it. We just need to do what we can do. Let's lift our hands and ask God to help us. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, we're going to be talking about making disciples. And I pray, Lord, that this first lesson of making disciple has gone into the heart and the mind and the spirit.
spirit of every person that is here tonight and every person that is watching and listening via live stream. I pray, Lord God, that what we're talking about will go into the deepest part of our heart and our spirit, Lord God, that we will not take for granted what you died for. You died for souls. You died for people's life. Oh, God, Lord, you said that nothing is more valuable than a soul. Not even this whole world is more valuable than a soul. And tonight I ask that as we get into studying and digging into the word of God to understand what it's about in making disciples of Christ, that, Lord, we will hold on to it, that we will begin to apply it like we've never applied it, that we will begin to practice it like we've never practiced it, Lord. Oh, God, there's souls all around us that don't know who you are. There's souls all around us that are scattered and have no shepherd. Lord, I pray that there will be a supernatural move of God within our soul that will guide us to the loss that will make us witnesses and more importantly to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Oh God we pray and ask that you will do a work, a miraculous work, a wonderful work a transformative work in all of our lives and Lord all we can think about day and night Lord God is how we can make disciples of Jesus Christ. Lord, touch us. Let all that's been spoken here tonight go into our hearing, take root into our heart, and begin to grow and produce good fruit. I love you, Jesus. I thank you for your goodness. There is none like you, O great God. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are the great I am. You are the wonderful counselor. Oh, God, I humble myself before you because I'm still in awe of who you are. I'm in awe of you, Lord God. Lord, have your way in this church that we, Lord God, will not be so caught up on the works that's inside of these four walls than we are the works outside of these four walls. Use us, Lord, for your glory. Use us, Lord, for your glory. We ask you these things in Jesus' name. Somebody say in Jesus' name. Brother Henry, you can stand toward the back. We won't change that. I'll put mine in. Give to the building fund on your way out. God bless you. Have a wonderful rest of your night.